turn in our Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. This is a a really powerful uh, chapter that we're going to be looking at tonight. God speaking to Abraham and asking him to offer up his son, Isaac. So let's uh, pray together. Father, we thank you for the powerful portrayal of obedience in the life of Abraham. His willingness to surrender all, even his only son, his loved son, and place Isaac upon the altar. We thank you how it points to Jesus willingly laying down his, his life and surrendering. And God, we just ask that you would come and that you would instruct us, that you would teach us, and that you would move us to a place of fresh surrender with you. We know that the battle is always the choice of our will. And so God, would you move us to that place of sweet surrender to this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Surrender is a constant battle in our relationship uh, with the Lord, really fighting our will for the will of the Father. And what we find in Abraham is this very powerful picture of him being willing uh, to surrender his son Isaac uh, to the Lord. So as we begin tonight, examine this question in your own heart and your life is, is there anything that you're withholding from the Lord? Is there anything that you would say, you know, this is more in my hands than placing it in God's hand? Have I trusted the Lord with all of my heart and not leaning upon my own understanding? Because God wants to take the things that we love and for us to surrender them upon his altar because of our love for him. Also in this, we see an amazing portrayal of God's love for us as it points to Jesus laying down his life the only begotten son. Isaac is the only begotten son and Jesus is the only begotten of the father who was laid down so that we could receive uh, the love of God. This is the seventh and last appearance that God has with Abraham. The the seventh time that God speaks uh, to Abraham and the last uh, recorded time. Abraham has just received the promised son, Isaac. If you've been studying with us through Genesis, you know what such a long process this was of waiting and waiting and waiting, and God has finally given Isaac uh, to him. So Abraham's obedience and also Christ very clearly seen in this chapter. Let's look in verse one. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and he and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. So now it came to pass after these things, after Isaac was born, after the promised child had been received. And if you'll remember also, Ishmael has been put out. God spoke to Abraham and said, it's time for Ishmael and Hagar uh, to go. So those things have taken place. And then God tests Abraham. God tests him. And that's interesting when we come upon that in scripture that God would test Abraham. And what does it mean that God would test us? God knows Abraham's heart, but Abraham needs to know his own heart. And after this experience, it's going to be solidified and confirmed in Abraham's heart and mind that God is number one. So a test, it proves. A test, it, it reveals. And God will also bring tests in our lives to really express where our love for the Lord is and where our faith and trust in God is. It's easy to 
say that we trust the Lord when there's no trial, when there's no test, when there's no difficulty, but it's the testing that reveals. And God doesn't tempt us. We know that very clearly from the book of James. It's our own evil desires that tempt us. So God's not trying to set us up for failure, but God is trying to grow us. And one of the ways of of growing us is that the Lord will, will test us. So could it be that there is some form of test in our lives and we've failed to see it this way? What's nice for us is we know this is a test because of the text. But Abraham doesn't know this is a test. He's living it. He's walking through this test and this experience uh, before the Lord. Then we also see this great relationship between Abraham and God. And it brings us to these elements that are in worship. We're going to find the word worship mentioned for the first time in Scripture. And so if you're taking notes tonight, write down number one. Elements of worship, number one, is relationship. Now, worship can exist without there being relationship. You know, I'm sure that there's people that are really excited tonight about Tom, Tom Brady and his win in the Super Bowl. I'm not one of them. You're probably not either. But a lot of those people that admire, maybe even worship Tom Brady, probably don't have a relationship uh, with Tom Brady. And God could say, hey, you need to worship me absent of relationship, But God chooses for worship to exist inside of relationship. God's personal, and he has a personal relationship with Abraham. He knows him by name, and he calls him, and he says, Abraham. And Abraham responds, here am I. God, I'm yours. I'm surrendered to you. And God knows us by name. He knows the number of hairs upon our head. He knows the thoughts that we think when we're going to sit down, when we're going to rise up. He knows us personally and individually. And hopefully we know his voice as our good shepherd, the great shepherd. And when God calls, that we respond and we say, Lord, here am I. I would suggest to you this evening that in order for there to be true worship in our lives, there has to be relationship. If we're going to get to a place where we trust God enough to surrender everything to him, that's going to take place because of relationship. Abraham is the friend of God. He's walked with God. He's seen God be faithful in his life. This relationship has been developed to bring Abraham to this point. In verse 2, then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. This is the first time the word love is used in the Bible. And what a wonderful way, what a wonderful framework for us to be able to start to understand God's love in the relationship between a father and a son. And specifically, this promised child Isaac, that through Isaac, Abraham would have descendants as the stars in the sky and the sands of the sea, Through Isaac, all of the nations of the world would be blessed. How Abraham waited and waited and waited for Isaac to be born. And God says, take your son, your only son, because God doesn't acknowledge Ishmael. Ishmael was a product of his flesh, but he was not the promised son. And when we get to the Gospels, we see very clearly the love the Father has for Jesus and Jesus for his Father. 
And so this picture of Abraham and Isaac, it ultimately points to the picture of the father and son, the ultimate father and son. And that God would love us enough to give his only begotten son. He says, take your son that you love. And then he asks him to do this with with his son. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. As one of the mountains, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. This must have been a complete shock to Abraham when he heard this. Have you ever been in a conversation and you're kind of tracking with what's being said and then all of a sudden they throw you a curveball? Excuse me? Did I hear you correctly? You want me to take my son, my only son, and offer him as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice to kill my son in a place that you're going to show me. And what's so complex about this is it seems contradictory to the promise that God had made. God says, this is Isaac. This is what you've been waiting for. And it's through him that you're going to have all these descendants. Isaac's not married yet. Isaac doesn't have children yet. How is God's promise going to be fulfilled in the midst of this action that God is calling him to do? So what's the test? The test is, does Abraham love God more than he loves his son? Does Abraham fear God more than he fears his son? Does he respect God more than he respects his son? And God really wants to test us in that same way. To say, here's the things that you love, and do you love me more than these? And this blessings that he pours out into our lives, it's easy to look to those people, to look to those things, to look to those blessings and begin to worship them more than we worship the Lord. And in times, God's going to test that because he loves us. And he's jealous for us in the sense that he wants to be our first love. The way a husband and wife would appropriately be jealous for each other's affection, God says, I'm not content to be number two in your life. I need to be number one. So will we take the things that we love and will we put them upon God's altar? Will we trust God enough to say, God, here's my spouse. Here's my children. Here's my job. Here's the ministry. All of these things that really belong to the Lord, but when it comes down to it, we can start to put our hands on it and take ownership more than that the Lord would desire. And so that's the test for Abraham. That's the test for us as well. And it brings us to the second element of worship. It's that worship involves sacrifice. For Abraham to worship this day, it's going to involve sacrifice. It's going to be a place of putting his son upon the altar. And the same is true for us as well when we worship the Lord, is it's going to involve sacrifice. It's going to involve taking what we love and putting it on the altar. But think of it this way. Isn't the best place for the things that we love to be in the hands of God? Isn't the best place for our our spouse to be, our kids, our friends? A job isn't the best place to be in God's hands. That's the best place for them. 
This is the best place for Isaac to be, even though that it's difficult. There's so much here in verse 2. The land of Moriah is Jerusalem. And specifically, the temple is built on this mountain ridge, the ridge of, of Moriah. It would also be upon this ridge that Christ would be crucified. God is very specific in saying, I'm going to show you a place in which you are to sacrifice your son. And it would point to the sacrifices that would be made much more in the future in the temple. And then it would ultimately point to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's going to be about 50 miles from Beersheba to the land of Moriah, to Jerusalem, for Abraham and Isaac to travel to to fulfill this command. In verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. This is astonishing. If I'm Abraham, I'm probably looking for a lot of reasons to disobey. And Abraham obeys immediately. And that's point number three with worship is obedience. Don't delay obedience. Because if you're like me, what happens if I delay in something that I know God's calling me to do is I talk myself out of it. I come up with reasons why it's not wise to obey God. Such stupidity, right? When you say that out loud, you go, that makes no sense. The wisest thing to do is to be able to obey the Lord. So don't delay obedience. You know how easy it is to procrastinate? Oh, I'll get to that later. I'll do that at some other point. God, I'm going to do that, right? And so Abraham, he obeys right away. He says, okay, God, I trust you. I'm going to walk in obedience. And then next morning he wakes up, he saddles his donkey, he's going to get Isaac, and they're going to go and obey the Lord. Is there something in your life this evening where you're delaying obedience on? It's like God has spoken to me. He's spoken to me in his word. I know that I'm supposed to do this, but it's against my own wants. It's against my own desires. It's against my logic. It's an affront to my logic. So I'm putting the brakes on. Don't delay. Don't delay. This was the Achilles heel of King Saul. King Saul had difficulty in obeying the Lord, didn't he? He would choose to disobey the Lord. And Samuel the prophet comes to him and says, to obey is better than sacrifice. So there comes a point where God's saying, I just want you to do it. I just want you to walk in obedience. I'm not necessarily interested in your fancy sacrifice if you're not going to obey me. I want you to walk in obedience. Sometimes obedience is the greatest sacrifice that we can give uh, to the Lord. And we're never going to regret walking in obedience. Doesn't mean it's always easy, but it's always worthwhile. And God's plan of obedience is much better than our plan of disobedience. Amen? And Abraham understands this about the Lord. He's able to trust God at this point in his journey and say, okay, I'm going to obey right away. And took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Takes two young men, takes Isaac. We don't know how old Isaac is at this point, but he probably is not an eight-year-old. He's, he's probably into his teen years or even a little bit older at this point when God calls Abraham uh, to do this. 
They bring the firewood for the all offering, but they don't bring an animal because Isaac is to be the sacrifice. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Is this a coincidence that it's the third day? Not at all. Because Christ was risen from the dead upon the third day. Christ was delivered on the third day. And Isaac is going to be delivered upon the third day. Seize the place in which God wants him to offer Isaac. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Fourth thing about worship is that it involves faith. Abraham expresses great faith here. Did you catch it? He says, we're going to go yonder, and we're going to worship, and we will come back to you. Wait a second, I thought he's going to kill Isaac on the altar. That's the plan. And this is what's written in Hebrews 11, verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham believed that if he's to offer his son Isaac, that God was going to raise him from the dead because Isaac was the promised child. So here he is, conflicted, going, how is this going to work out? If I have to kill Isaac, but Isaac's the promised child, so he believed and trusted that God was going to be faithful to his promise and raise Isaac from the dead. Now, we need a point of clarification. Unfortunately, in this sick and twisted, perverted world that we live in, don't think that God wants you to kill your kids, okay? And there's just too many people that get twisted in their head and the enemy takes advantage of it, and they think the best thing that they can do is to drown their kid in a bathtub. This is God dealing with Isaac and God dealing with Abraham in a specific moment in time, but this is not God's command, Genesis to Revelation. God's command, Genesis to Revelation, is that we would love our children, that we would protect our children, and it's not the heart of God that you would kill your children. I'm sorry that I've got to say that, but we need to be clear on that. I don't want anybody to read Genesis 22 and get it all messed up in their head and go, well, God was, was calling me to sacrifice uh, my child. So Abraham believes that if he kills Isaac, that God is going to raise him from the dead because of God's promise. And then let's focus on this word worship. It's the first time the word worship is used in the Bible. There's something called the principle of first mention. When you see a word used in the scripture for the first time, it unlocks the understanding for us. It shows us what worship means. The word worship means to bow down. The idea of worship is that you're, you're bowing down in adoration and you're bowing down in, in surrender. And Abraham shows us a wonderful picture of worship here. And he puts it in his own words. He understands what God is after, that God is after his worship and that God is gonna be worshiped by being his first love, being his, his number one. So he's gonna go to this mount, the Mount of Moriah, and he's going to worship the Lord by offering his son Isaac. And the essence of worship for us 
is expressed in a song, but it's not fulfilled in a song. What do I mean by that? Because we can sing a song sometimes without having our heart and life surrendered to the Lord. But then there's other times where we're a living sacrifice to God. We've placed ourselves upon his altar, and that song is a reflection of our lives. We've coined our time of singing as worship, and it is, but worship doesn't begin when the song starts, and hopefully it doesn't end when the song stops, amen? So worship is a lifestyle where we're touched by the mercy of God and the love of God, and we're saying, my life doesn't belong to me, and just as Abraham put Isaac upon the altar, we take what's valuable to us and we put it upon God's altar, We take our own lives and we put it on God's altar. And this is what Paul was speaking about in Romans 12 where he was exhorting us to be a living sacrifice to the Lord. To willingly lay our lives down before God and say, God, here I am, everything that I am, everything that I quote unquote own, every relationship and every blessing that you've given to me, God, I I surrender it to you. And that's worship. That's worship. Paul also got the essence of worship when he got saved. And God confronted him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Why do you kick against the goats? And Saul responded by saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he meant it. And in that question is worship. God, I'm willing to do what you want me to do. I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to sacrifice. And this is what we're created for. We're created for worship. We're created to surrender to the Lord in this way. But our flesh fights this, doesn't it? We fight it. We go, ah, I want to be in control. I want to call my own shots. I want to be my own boss. And that leads to death. But a life of worship and a life of surrender it leads to the abundant life that Christ described. He said, if any of you seek to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Jesus calls us to take up our cross and to daily follow him. We're going to surrender to something, to someone. We'll surrender to our own wants, our own desires. We'll surrender to the world's agenda, other people's agenda around us, or we're going to surrender to Jesus Christ. And we're going to place ourselves on that altar and we're going to worship the Lord. But it's in that place of worship that we do find that Christ's burden is light, where we do find the abundant life. Not the easy life, but the abundant life. So this is a powerful picture of worship here, where Abraham's trusting the promises of God, he's trusting the word of God, and he's putting everything out on the line, surrendering completely to the Lord. In verse six, so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. So he's big enough, he's strong enough to for sure carry the wood for the burnt offering. Isaac is carrying the wood Abraham is carrying the fire and the knife. And this is also a beautiful picture of Jesus and our Heavenly Father because Jesus bore the cross. 
and carried the cross to a point, and then ultimately Simon Cyrene carried the cross the, the rest of the way. The fire and the knife are the judgment. The knife is going to kill Isaac. The fire is going to burn Isaac as a burnt offering. And the father holds the judgment, doesn't he? At the cross, we see Jesus dying upon the cross and the father punishing Jesus for our sin. The New Testament puts it this way, that Christ is our propitiation, which means that he appeases the wrath of the father, that he took the judgment of the father. He took the fire of the father. He took the knife of the father that was meant for us because of our sin so that we could be forgiven. And that's why Jesus can grant forgiveness to us and it's complete because he paid the price. He took the punishment. He took the knife. He took the fire. Verse seven, but Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father, and he said, here am I, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac's probably getting a little nervous at this point. You know, his dad just keeps looking at him a little strange. He's like, hey, dad, um, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, we've got the knife, but we're missing the lamb. We're missing the animal for the sacrifice. Where is the animal for the sacrifice? In verse 8, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Abraham, without even realizing, is pointing to Jesus Christ. God will provide for himself the lamb. In just a moment, God's going to provide a ram that's stuck in the bush, in the thicket. But here, Abraham says God's going to provide a lamb for himself as the sacrifice. Because the ram wasn't the ultimate fulfillment. It was Jesus Christ who's the lamb who takes away our sins, that's the fulfillment of this. One of the things that's really exciting about the scriptures is in the New Testament, we have New Testament principles, but in the Old Testament, we've got Old Testament pictures. Don't you love pictures? I mean, pictures are powerful. Pictures oftentimes uh, change, change our lives. I think that's why we're seeing in this generation the power of a video, A friend of mine sent me a text a few weeks ago. He pastors in Portland, Oregon, that he just wrote a book and that he asked, hey, can I send you a copy of of the book? And that got my attention a little bit, but then I happened to pick up a tweet from him today and they did a little video trailer of his book. And I watched it, right? Because the visual portrayal of what the book's about was powerful because it's a picture. And this is a picture of God's love. See, God in his infinite wisdom had ordained for Jesus to die. Before the foundations of the world, it was determined that Christ would die for for our sins. And so here, back at the very beginning, in Genesis 22, we have God drawing this beautiful picture of a father and a son, and the son being the sacrifice, but ultimately, the true sacrifice is going to be Jesus Christ. He's the lamb that takes away our sins. When John the Baptist, the forerunner, introduces the ministry of Jesus Christ, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
In verse 9, then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Takes time to build the altar and says, okay, Isaac, this is the deal. And at this point, there had to have been a conversation. God spoke to me, and he said that he wants me to offer you upon the altar. And what's amazing here is Isaac doesn't fight it. And he's old enough where he probably could have taken his old man. Now, guys, when you got to that point where you knew you could take your dad, part of you felt really good because you're like, man, I could finally take it to my old man. But then part of you felt really bad because you're like, I'm humbled that my dad is at this place of weakness where I could, where I could take him. But Abraham is old. He's old. And Isaac could have fought this, but he doesn't. And again, this points to our Heavenly Father and Jesus, where Jesus didn't fight the cross. He willingly laid his life down because it was the will of the Father. It says, not my will, but your will be done. Isaac surrenders. Jesus surrenders. And guys, if we're going to get the essence of worship the fifth thing is surrender. It's surrender. To be willing to climb up onto God's altar and be bound to Jesus, be bound to our Father, and saying, I'm done fighting, and I'm going to surrender. If I'm honest with you this evening, the days that are the most difficult for me in my relationship with God is when I fight His will is when I say, God, I don't really want to do that. I really want to do this thing. And I don't really like the situation that you've put me in. And I don't like the the circumstance. But the more that I'm surrendered, the more that I'm in that place of trust of saying, God, I know you're good. I know you're my father. And I don't like this. And it's uncomfortable. And this isn't what I would choose. But I trust you. I'm willing to be bound to you. I'm willing to surrender to you. Then the peace of God comes. Then the comfort of God comes. The the strength of God comes. And in surrender really is humility. And God says he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. When we're in that place of independence, that place of disobedience, that place of insisting upon our own will, then we're prideful before God and he, he resists us. He's contrary to us. But when we're surrendered and we're humble, then he's able to pour out his comfort and his grace and his strength and his help uh, in, in our lives. I think Isaac knew he could trust his dad. He could trust his father. He believed that his father had heard from God. When Abraham said, God spoke to me, Isaac looked at this track record of Abraham's life, said, okay, dad. This is difficult. This is strange. Is this a normal father-son relationship? But I trust you, Dad. And how much more so with our Heavenly Father can we say, I trust you. And for both Abraham and Isaac, this moment had to make no sense. In verse 10, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. So he's about ready to bring the knife down upon his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, 
here am I. God stops him at that last moment. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. God stops him, speaks to him through the angel of the Lord and says, now I know that you fear God. Abraham passed the test. Fear of God is the awe of God. It's the worship of God. It's the respect of God. It was Abraham's fear of God that moved him in obedience. And he didn't withhold his son. He didn't withhold his only son before the Lord. And in our lives, it's going to be the fear of God that moves us to obedience as well. The awe of God the respect of God, the worship of God, saying, Lord, I fear you. This really stood out to me this afternoon in reading this. For I know that you fear God. For I know that you worship God. In verse 13, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. What a huge moment of relief for Abraham, for Isaac. Isaac's laying there and hears the angel speak going, whew, this was a close one. Thank you, Lord, right? And Abraham's going, wow, this, this was a close one. I'm so thankful that I didn't have to kill my son and sacrifice my son. And they look over in the thicket and there's a ram that's caught in the, in the thicket. Not a lamb, but, but a ram. This is definitely God's hand because I don't think rams just naturally get caught in the thicket. Strong animals. The, The Lord set this up for Abraham. So he takes the ram and offers the ram upon the the burnt offering. And what a sweet moment of worship that would have been for father and son to say, we know we're surrendered to the Lord. Abraham could say completely, I'm surrendered to the Lord. Isaac could say, I'm surrendered to the Lord. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. The Lord will provide. God provided a sacrifice. God provided the ram. And in this mount, a sacrifice is going to be provided. And we follow this forward in God's plan of providing a sacrifice is later on in Israel's history, there would be a lamb that would be slain for a family on Passover. Then later on, the Day of Atonement, there would be the lamb for the nation, the lamb that was slain to cover the sins of the nation. All of the lambs that would be sacrificed on this same mountain in the temple ultimately leading to Christ as he was crucified on this same ridge in the land of Moriah, there in Jerusalem, God provided. God has provided our greatest need, and that's the forgiveness of sin. And he's provided it in the blood of his son. And we get to be so thankful for God's provision in our life, that he wanted to be in relationship with us enough where he would provide his own son. I hope that when we read the Gospels and we read of the Father sending his Son, 
that it has a little bit deeper meaning to us because we know Genesis 22. We go, oh man, this must have been so hard for Abraham. How much more so that it was so difficult for God that God would give his only begotten son to provide the sacrifice for our sins. It's emphasized so much. The father sent the son and how much the father loves his son. This is my only begotten. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased because God wants us to realize how much this sacrifice is worth, how much the provision is worth, how much God loves us that he would provide his son so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life. Do you think we can trust the Lord? Absolutely. If he can provide for our salvation, for forgiveness, for everlasting life, we can trust him. We can trust that he's going to be faithful in our lives. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you've done this thing and not withheld your son, your only son, blessings I will bless you and multiply, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. God says, because... You love me more than anything else because you did not withhold your son from me. I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna multiply you. Your descendants will be as the stars of heaven and the sand of the seashore. They're gonna possess the gate of their enemies. In church, you're never gonna regret surrendering to the Lord completely and walking in obedience. Now, this doesn't mean that God's gonna give you every earthly blessing And if you obey the Lord, you can count on your income going up 50% in one calendar year. You know, that's not the way that the Lord blesses. He may choose to bless you monetarily. Sometimes he does. And hopefully we honor him uh, in that. But God's blessings are much deeper than the physical. It's in our spiritual, it's in our relationship with him. And in the core of our heart of our hearts, do we believe this? Do we go, you know what? The best life is a life that's surrendered to the Lord. And I can't outgive God. And being surrendered to him and not withholding anything from him, that's the best place for me to be. And it puts, my, puts me in the place to receive God's blessing. Not this name it and claim it weirdness, but to be where the Lord would have me to be and to be in close relationship with him. But the world tells us, well, if you follow God, you're missing out, right? Husbands and wives, if you stay faithful to each other, oh, you're missing out. Singles, if you walk in sexual integrity, uh, you're missing out. You know, if you put Christ first and you spend time in the word and serve the body of Christ, serve brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, you're missing out. What are you doing at a Bible study on Wednesday night. You could be doing something that really profits you. You could be working more and making more money. You could be at the gym and you could be working out. And Don't you know that your kids need to be spending this time doing homework? Why in the world do you have them at church on Wednesday night making cardboard boxes? You know, the kindergartners to fifth grade had box car night where they take cardboard boxes and build their cars and they're having a movie night down in the summit room and your neighbors are watching you load up your boxcar and going, I thought you were strange. 
That doesn't look like a school project to me, right? Where are you headed? Rocky Mountain Calvary. It's Awana. What in the world's Awana? You want to do Awana? Weird, you know? Why are your teenagers here on a Wednesday night studying the Bible? Don't you know that they could be doing more Algebra 1 and Algebra 2? I mean, how in the world are they going to succeed if they're not home doing their homework, right? And sometimes we're bombarded with all this and we're thinking, man, it really doesn't make sense. Why am I putting all this effort into a relationship with God? Why am I surrendered to God and the biblical truth and what God is affirming to Abraham is, Abraham, you're not going to be on the losing end of this. And at the end of our lives, no one ever says, man, I regret walking in obedience with Jesus Christ. I regret my life being surrendered to Christ. I regret walking in his ways. At the end of our lives, it's always, man, I regret all of these sinful living, these sinful selfish choices and I'm so thankful by God's grace that he's put me in this direction so the best thing for us is a life that is surrendered to the father please hear this I know I know it's not the most easy life but it is the most meaningful because it's glorifying to God it's where true substance lies This weekend, when we get into the end of John chapter 6, it's been quite a journey, three weekends into John chapter 6. Jesus looks at the multitudes as they leave, and then he looks at the disciples and says, do you guys want to take off as well? He's basically saying, guys, do you think this is worthwhile? And Peter says, you alone have the words of life. Where else will we go? Where else will we go? Is Abraham on the losing end of this? Absolutely not. And God's saying, look, I want to affirm your obedience. And I think that that's what the Lord would encourage us in tonight. Don't get weary. Keep going. Keep surrendering to the Lord. Keep walking in his ways. Verse 18, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. How is this fulfilled? Because Isaac then has Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah and is the specific fulfillment of this promise. And through Jesus, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. Abraham's blessed to the point of Jesus coming through his lineage to be the savior of the world. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. It must have been a long three days as they were traveling to the land of Moriah, roughly 50 miles. Abraham knows what's in front of him, but what a joyous journey home to Beersheba as they're walking together in complete surrender to the Lord, God sparing Isaac's life, And you know something? Something solidified in Abraham. God's number one. As much as I love Isaac, and he's my promised son, and here I'm an old man, and I get to be a dad, I belong to the Lord. I love the Lord. The Lord has my first allegiance even over the love that I have for my son. The end of the chapter focuses on Abraham's brother. It says, Now it came to pass after these things 
that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also bore children to your brother Nahor. And then his children are listed there. And I'll let you wrestle with those names. I'm going to spare you the pain and me the embarrassment of me reading those to you out loud. But focus on verse 23 and you'll see Rebecca. And Rebecca is going to be significant because Rebecca becomes the wife of Isaac. The parallels between Christ and Isaac in this chapter is they were both promised. Both were the only begotten son. Both walked on the same mountain. Both surrendered completely to the will of the Father. And both were delivered from death on the third day. Abraham displayed his heart for God by not withholding his only son. God displayed his heart towards us by not withholding his only son. So God has surrendered what is most valuable to him, and that's his only son. And then God demands in response that we would completely surrender to the Lord, that we would completely surrender to him. Paul masterfully lays this out in the book of Romans. And for 11 chapters, he delves deep into the grace and the mercy of God poured out in the person of Jesus Christ. Then he asks us to respond, and he says, Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Based on God's mercy, his grace, his steadfast love, his unconditional love that doesn't change, then what is our logical response is for us to completely surrender to the Lord as a living sacrifice. When we know the love of God, when we know the grace of God, the mercies of God, that will move us to the place of surrender. That will move us to the place of saying, God, I want to surrender to you. You are so good, and you are so kind, and you are so loving. I want to be with you, and I want to walk in obedience. The challenge with this is to surrender to the Lord is an ongoing decision. It's an ongoing choice. Similar to marriage, you choose to get married and commit yourself to your spouse, and then a good marriage is you continue to walk in that commitment. You continue to invest in each other. You continue to, to choose to be married. In the same way, we receive Christ as our Savior, but then hopefully daily, we're saying, God, I want to surrender to you. Because selfishness is so strong that it's easy to take ourselves off of this altar because it is a living sacrifice. It's not a dead sacrifice. And saying, okay, I did serve you for this period of time, but now I'm into my thing. Well, God, I really don't want you to have that. You, you know, you, you can't have... The, the home. You can't have the money. You can't have the vehicle. I don't know if I can trust you with my children. I don't know if I can trust you with my singleness. And before long, we've drifted and walked away from a life of surrender to the Lord. So if you are surrendered to the Lord this evening, keep surrendering to the Lord. Wake up tomorrow morning and surrender to the Lord. A week from now, surrender to the Lord. If you're still here seven years from now, or 70 years from now, if you're really young, keep surrendering to the Lord, right? 
And then for some reason, if tonight's study, God's word, moves you to say, you know what? I am not surrendered to the Lord. May we choose to put ourselves on the altar to be a living sacrifice to worship the Lord. Guys, it's not just about showing up and hearing Bible studies. It's not just about getting up every morning and doing our devotions, as important as that is. It's not just about dropping a tithe check in, in a box. It's not just about choosing to serve in, in some capacity. It's much deeper than that. It's an issue of the heart of saying, God, I love you because you love me. And I'm surrendering to you. I'm worshiping you. And as we, we hear the word, to respond to the word as a living sacrifice. And say, Lord, I'm putting myself upon the altar. And the surrender is difficult, but it's sweet. It's sweet. So many times in my life, when I am not surrendered to the Lord, I can just feel my soul start to lock up. And then when I get to that place where I stubbornly finally surrender to the Lord, I feel my soul unlock. And I'm like, oh, why did this take me so long, right? I, I wish I would have gotten this a few days ago, a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Oh, God, I'm gonna surrender to you. I'm gonna be this living sacrifice. God loved us enough to surrender his son and he demands of us that we would, in response to that, surrender our will to him. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace, your endless pursuit of our hearts through the gift of your son. May you remind us of the magnitude of the reality of you giving us your only begotten son. This is huge for Abraham. How much more so for you? You sent your son to the cross and poured out your judgment upon him all to pursue our hearts. And God, we choose tonight to surrender afresh to you. Even in communion, as we take communion, we surrender to you. We respond to your broken body and your shed blood. And as you test us and as you reveal things in our lives that aren't surrendered to you, Lord, we choose to respond by placing those things in your hands. So Lord, by your grace, would you allow your word to have fruit in our lives. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.